Welcome everyone to America Explained with Quinn and Jeffrey. I'm Quinn Reiser. And I'm Jeffrey Walk. Thank you all for taking the time to join us. These last couple weeks have been full of unrest across nearly every major city in the United States. But we will be addressing that on an episode shortly. In today's episode, we'll just be a step back, taking some time to look at the rise of progressive candidates and their chances in this year's elections. Joining us today is Carter Hamby. Carter is a progressive Democrat and a field organizer for Nabila Islam's campaign for Georgia's 7th Congressional District. He's also the secretary for the Georgia College Democrats. Welcome to the show, Carter. Hi, how y'all doing? It's good to be here. All right. Yeah, so, um, Carter, you want to tell us about yourself and um, the candidate you are representing? Sure. So, like I like you stated, I'm the field organizer for Nabila Islam's congressional campaign. I'm also our... Um, digital outreach director, meaning that I make sure that the volunteers have lists to call, meaning that the volunteers have things to do in terms of outreach to actual voters in the district. I got started on Nabila's campaign last um, last November, I believe, when I actually got an offer to be an a intern for Lean Heimrich, who's a Republican candidate, who's a former Home Depot executive running in our same con- uh congressional district. And, you know, obviously me and her values aren't aligned. She's a Trump puppet at the end of the day. It's just pandering to Donald Trump. And I didn't want to be part of something like that. So I did research on a lot of the congressional candidates and I fell uh, in line with Nabila's policies for Medicare for all, for a Green New Deal, for raising the minimum wage. And I knew that's the campaign I wanted to work on. So I emailed them about becoming an intern. And literally an hour later, they emailed me back and um, Things happen. I work as an unpaid intern for a couple months. Then in February, I get promoted to a full staff position as a field organizer, a paid position. And ever since then, I've been working for the campaign. And uh, we are a week out from our June 9th primary date right now. All right. Awesome. And uh, why do you think uh, Nabila is the best uh, the best candidate? Obviously, you mentioned some of her policies. Um, but are there any other attributes to her that you think will uh, will serve Congress better than and your people and your district better than uh, some of the other candidates? Well, Georgia's 7th Congressional District is not only a minority-majority uh, district, but it's also one of the most competitive districts in the entire state of Georgia. Or it is the most competitive in the entire state of Georgia. In 2018, uh, Carolyn Bordeaux, who's a professor at Georgia State University, was the Democratic nominee, and she lost to Rob Woodall by 500 votes. However, the congressional district actually went to Stacey Abrams in the gubernatorial election. And that's mainly because people did not vote down ballots in areas like Grayson, which is in Southern Gwinnett County, which is the largest county in our congressional district. They voted, they either did not vote down ballot or actually flipped to Woodall, but voted for Abrams, presumably because of out of spite for, I guess, Brian Kemp, I suppose. But what Nabila is doing is she is the only candidate currently running who has lived in the 7th District her entire life. She graduated from Central Gwinnett High School, which is right smack dab in the middle of our district. And she's lived and worked in this district for the entirety of her life. And Nabila is also a candidate that can energize the base in Gwinnett County and Forsyth County. And we are purely focusing on turning out the voters in the Southern Gwinnett areas that Stacey Abrams was able to win exciting them, getting disenfranchised voters, getting the minority voters who did not vote down ballot for a candidate. Why Nabila excites her base is because the people know that she's going to fight for them. Like I already stated, she's lived in the district her entire life. She supports Medicare for all. One fifth of the people in our congressional district are uninsured or underinsured. That's unacceptable. We also have the, I I believe the highest uh, number of immigrants of any county in the United States of America. 
So we know she's, we're going to, we have a, something in the district called 287G in Georgia, which means that basically uh, local law enforcement can become the federal immigration enforcers. And there have been uh, many examples of pullovers due to 287G, uh, basically open discrimination, kind of like stop and frisk. So that's something that we want to get rid of. And that's something the community wants to get rid of, because the studies have shown that even in sanctuary cities, areas where police and community relations are good, there is less crime because we don't want anyone, illegal, legal immigrant or not, to feel like they can't go to the police because of they were either of a violent crime, a theft, a rape or something like that. We want our community to feel safe and we want a strong progressive candidate who we know will fight for the district in Congress. And that's why I'm supporting Nabila and that's why I think she'll win on June 9th. All right. Excellent. Um, Thank you so much for your introduction to our uh, to your candidate. I want to uh, move on just a little bit to uh, to progressive politics in general this year. Obviously, we've seen there's a, there's a lot of progressive candidates running in a lot of uh, in a lot of important districts. What do you think the uh, the atmosphere, the political climate is going to look like for progressive candidates this coming this election? To be honest, it's foggy because at the end of the day, we have to admit that progressives. Um, took a beating when it comes to the presidential election. I mean, obviously, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were the choice of the progressive base of the party, and they combined for, at this moment, about 39% of the vote. And Joe Biden sitting about 43%. Pete Buttigieg, I believe, and uh, Mike Bloomberg is 8%. Pete's at 3 So obviously, progressives did something wrong at the national level. We can talk about either it was media influence or you know, just the amount of money that these establishment candidates have and put into their election. So it's foggy. But I do think that still, when you're looking at the polling data, the majority of Democrats support Medicare for all. The majority of the Demo- of Democrats want tuition-free public college. This this creates a lane for progressive ca- candidates down ballot to win. We already saw Kara Eastman in Nebraska, who was the nominee in 2018, beat an establishment candidate, um, Ann Ashford, who was the wife of the former congressman for a democratic congressman from that district i think she got over 60 percent of the vote in that election and obviously nabila who had my candidate who has the endorsement of rokana who has the endorsement of alexandria ocasio cortez is making a lot of or not making a lot of fundraising a lot and she has a very good chance to win this congressional race we've seen progressive candidates challenge people like nancy pelosi shaheed butler Charles Booker is doing very well in his Kentucky Senate race. He might very well be Amy McGrath, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee's endorsed candidate. So at this point, I don't know how mail-in voting is going to affect progressive candidates. What I worry is it's Mm -hmm. going to lead to a downturn in younger voter turnout because younger voters, frankly, aren't perhaps (laughs) as as worried. Send them. Yeah, send them a letter. <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a big problem. It legitimately is a problem. I, I've encountered a lot of people, you know, just phone banking or text banking, who don't know how to send in their ballots. And we saw that mail-in voting in California's twenty-fifth district helped the Republican Party actually. So hmm. it is foggy for progressives, but they have a real chance if they can continue running strong grassroots campaigns, strong strong digital outreach. They have a real chance to win. So, uh, Jeff, I'll ask a quick question. So do you see this year, as Joe Biden says, like a transition year? Because Joe Biden says that this is just the um, election to bring us, you know, to bridge us to a four years of progressive candidates like, you know, Pete Buttigieg and... Um, progressive candidates. <laughs> well, well, I think I should say 
the new face of the Democratic Party. You know, um, yeah. The, the real younger. question is, does the Democratic Party want Pete Buttigieg to be the new face? He performed very well in Iowa. He performed decently in New Hampshire, but those are both very, very heavily white majority um, places. And as the Democratic Party shifts more and more towards relying on the young vote, which he did very poorly with, and the minority vote, um, which he also did very poorly with, like he managed to pull at similar levels of support uh, among the African-American community as Donald Trump, who, and with despite the fact that he never said anything nearly as unambiguously racist as Trump has in the past. So I so think who so who's your uh, who's your dream guy in terms of uh, the face of the Democratic Party, if not Pete Buttigieg? I think the next person that should really be taking charge and taking over as a leadership role is is probably Rokana, just because he's been in the game for a while, but he's still boldly progressive. And he uh, he works uh, really hard for progressive values, but he's also he also knows how things work inside of Congress. Right. And Pramila Jayapal. And um, I believe is she from Washington, I believe, or Oregon. And I know um, Mark Pokin from um, or Porkin, I'm not sure, from Wisconsin. They're both great progressive representatives who actually, you know, they've been in Washington for a while now. To be fair, they know more than any progressive seems to have known how to work within the system. But in terms of who's going to be the progressive leader of the party going forward, let's just assume that Joe Biden does not win this election. It It's going to be tough because let's look at our prospective 2024 candidates. I'm sure Klobuchar and Buttigieg will be back. I'm not sure if they will be Andrew back. Yang. Andrew Yang, yeah, but, you know, Andrew Yang ba- backed off of policies like Medicare for All. He wasn't for a $15 minimum wage. And I'm a I'm a real big fan of Andrew Yang. I think if he can yeah. somehow conceal, consolidate, may, perhaps go back to being in, in favor of Medicare for All, and, you know, he's going to continue his strong support has, of UBI. I think he has very good reasons for backing, you know, not backing these policies when, um, when he talk about – when he talks about – but that UBI would basically be a replacement for a lot of these um, systems, and that ne- the government necess- shouldn't necessarily, you know, be the uh, um, uniting factor for Medicare and for for he just, he's against uh, free college also. Right. So I don't know that, you know, that progressivism, these progressive policies are a measurement of success in terms of the Democratic voters. Well, I'm just talking about from my perspective and who's going to sure. be the, who's going sure. to take up yeah. the Bernie Sanders mantle, presumably if the Bernie Sanders winning the party doesn't fall apart like it's actually kind of looking like it is. But, you know, I'm just not quite sure Andrew Yang can even win in 2024. He, he's a very well-liked figure, but a lot of people still don't really know anything about him. And, you know, I don't think the Democratic establishment is going to be really – that eager to support a Yang candidacy. I mean, I don't think they're going to fight it as much as say a Bernie Sanders candidacy, but in terms of 2024, looking at the prospective candidates, you know, you have uh, pretty much a lot of the people who ran this time around um, Joe Kennedy, the third, assuming he wins the Senate race in Massachusetts, I think is going to run. I I would, I would guarantee his run. Kamala Harris is probably going to run. Trying to think, I think the kind of, um, dark horse to actually take up the progressive mantle in 2024 is Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin. You know, she's a, a female candidate. She's, I, th- I believe, the first lesbian to ever serve in the United States Senate. 
and she supports Medicare for all. She supports free college. She is in all ways a progressive. Now, she doesn't have the name recognition that a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren has built up, but I don't think the progressive win of the party is going to be so um, so keen to get behind an Elizabeth Warren candidacy, considering her not even endorsing Bernie a second time around, and her kind of arguably sta- stabbing Bernie in the back by claiming the ridiculous claim that he said that a woman can't win the presidency. Not to mention just the uh, the fact that she's basically collapsed all of her principles since oh, the, right. end yeah. the primary. She's backed away from Medicare for All, saying that eventually she wants one, but that she supports strengthening Obamacare, which is fine, but it's not what she ran on, and it's not what she's stated for more nearly a decade now. She wants to be um, VP. Yeah, she not to, to mention VP. that she's literally holding fi- high-dollar fundraisers for Biden. Something right she, after after telling people that Bernie Sanders was taking dark dark uh, money, and that she was the only candidate not doing that, right? So I think I think a lot of people have soured on her. I think even in her own state, a lot of people have soured on her. She got once again third in her own state, which she is underperformed in twenty eighteen. She underperformed one of the bluest states of the country. You know, I'm I'm curious from my um. My conservative perspective, I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Who do you think the uh, VP is going to be? If I had to guess right now, I would probably say it is going to be the governor of Michigan, um, Gretchen Whitmer, just because she comes mm-hmm. from a uh, swing state, and arguably a swing state. And she, Biden has said that he values experience. She brings executive experience to the table. She's relatively young. If God forbid something were to happen to Joe Biden, she could take over. And you know she's not a she's not going to bridge the way between the Progressive Party. But I don't know if that's really what Joe Biden wants. Um, I know a lot of people still. Yeah, I know a lot of people still think Kamala Harris is going to be his choice. But for example, Joe Biden said he's going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. And I think what that means from his perspective is he's kind of telling the. Um, you know, the social justice crowd that, you know what, you're not going to get a black woman as VP, but I will put one on the Supreme Court for the um, social justice points. It might be important for him to, I wonder if he's going to reconsider um, that point, because I think actually a lot of these protests may have helped him out a bit because I think they're a real turnoff uh, to Donald Trump over what he said. But before that, he was in hot water with the African American community for his comments. Everyone's so forgotten about that now, though. That, that's yeah, I know. That's that, that's that. Yeah, this this might have been one. I mean, I'm not saying Joe Biden's celebrating. Obviously not, because this is a horrific. But this may have yeah. been one of the a, a good thing for it him. It was a campaign. lucky break for him, right? I will say, um, look. If if we were if let's let's turn back the clock and say this pandemic would never happen, I would put Donald Trump at a fifty five percent chance to win the presidency. Yeah. Now I think that if I was Joe Biden's campaign manager, I would say Joe, go in your basement, you know, catch up on your favorite shows, watch Golden Girls <laughs> or something. Just do just do nothing. Just let Trump beat himself because that's what Donald Trump is doing. He's beating yeah. himself. Joe Biden's going to walk into the presidency. <laughs> this, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. If, if the Democrats had a, a truly unified candidate who is universally liked in the party, who is inspired, like a JFK or an FDR figure, I think it would be one of the biggest blowouts in electoral history. Not quite to the level that Reagan won yeah. in 84, but a modern blowout. 
Democrats winning Florida, Democrats winning Arizona, winning the Rust Belt, winning back Ohio, winning North Carolina, maybe even winning Georgia and Texas. But Joe Biden, let's just all admit it, he's a weaker candidate. Uh, I think you can argue whether him, I would say that Joe is a, this might be a surprise opinion. I would say that Joe is a stronger candidate than Hillary Clinton. Because Joe Biden, at least on the, he has some of what George W. has, whereas no one really likes him on the policy, but he's somewhat actually charismatic. Like we used to say that Joe Biden was someone you'd want to go grab a beer with. Not so much anymore because. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird. I'll I'll jump in. Like even if you watch Donald Trump 20 years ago, he's actually a pretty charismatic guy. Oh, right. Yeah. No, he sounds like a smart guy too. Yeah. And it's, it's so disappointing that we get. I mean, I don't know. Donald Trump is not my ideal candidate now. I don't know. Twenty years ago, he would have been either. But I would. I mean, look, listening to him talk, I think I would have. I would. I would have seriously considered him. And same with Joe Biden, even five years ago. You know, he was. He was a pretty all right. You know, guy when uh, behind Obama. So yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with Carter really quick. Um, just I don't. I I still think Clinton actually was a better was a stronger candidate, which is probably somewhat shocking. But I think there's a couple key reasons for that. Um, I think number one is um, just looking at the polling and comparing it to hers. We saw when Biden became the clear um, clear winner from the primary, um, comparing polls, um, he, was, he was still beating Trump in the polls, but by a lower margin than Hillary was at that point. And he has historically the lowest excitement numbers um, among the Democratic Party of any uh, recent historical nominee. And then uh, secondly, the amount that he's he's just done so little to actually reach out to the Sanders campaign and their Sanders voters, which is becoming a significant voting block. So I think uh, like he Hillary Clinton offered five to ten more years of uh, expansion of Medicare and a bunch of other policy concessions, whereas um, Biden offered five years, um, expanded Medicaid and, or Medicare, and uh, these stupid task forces that are utterly meaningless and are just designed to actively make it look like they're doing something while also doing nothing. Jeffrey, I'm actually going to counter you say and then say that not everything is ideological. Like one of the biggest phenomenons in the 2020 primary was when looking at the polling, Bernie Sanders voters second choice was Joe Biden and Joe Biden's voters second choice was Bernie Sanders. Now, you can say that's partially because they're the two most well-known you know, figures in the party, I would argue. But also is that Joe Biden does not have the perceived negatives that Hillary Clinton does. We can talk about Joe Biden's corruption scandals, but they were not nearly as publicized or nearly as pointed out as Hillary Clinton's. Um, Hillary Clinton is not likable by anyone. I don't know anyone who legitimately, even her strong supporters, who legitimately find Hillary Clinton strong and charismatic. Like we can go back to, you know, Pokemon go to the polls and America is great because America's good. I, 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 I disagree with you. Hillary Clinton was well spoken. She had the She's well she's well spoken, but she can't connect with people. Joe Biden, you know, I don't agree with him on a lot of issues. I don't really particularly find him charismatic. But obviously he does something right because he was able to win the state of Wisconsin during a continued contested primary. He was able to win Texas. And these are areas with working class white Democrats. And Joe Biden does well with that group. You got to remember, he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
even if it's not perceived or even if his policy doesn't really match up with their wants and needs, he connects with those voters. Hillary Clinton, frankly, did not connect with white working class voters in the Midwest. They either didn't come out to vote or they flipped to Trump. And that's why I think Joe Biden is a much stronger candidate in the battleground states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And, you know, Joe Biden has the benefit of hindsight. He can see that he he's like, oh, crap, we need to actually do something in these states. We can't just never travel to Wisconsin like Hillary Clinton did. And, uh-oh, Trump wins. So that's why I think, in essence, that Joe Biden is a stronger candidate than Hillary Clinton. And, Quinn, I actually, if, if you don't mind, I want to ask you a question. You're a conservative, sure. right? Yes, sir. Who This might be going off a little topic. Who would, if you're not an entirely, like, I would say, like, a Trumplican or a Trump conservative, <laughs> who is your ideal choice for the Republican Party nominee in 2024? Oh, yeah. So it's worth saying that four years ago, um, I was I – was, Fully on the uh, the Trump bandwagon, and that might have been my you know thirteen year old uh, excitability right. talking. But it's slowly um, it's become more and more you know apparent that Trump's not just not a good conservative voice, and he's not exciting people, uh, exciting young conservatives. He's not traditional. And not traditional. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that word, non traditional. Yeah, right. but. Um, Frankly, I'll, I'll, there's many. Um, I think my, I'll go with uh, two. Either one, Nikki Haley, who I did think did a fantastic job as our ambassador at the UN, or two, Dan Crenshaw, um, you know, the, the uh, congressman from Texas. Um, either of those, I think, would be fantastic uh, candidates. Um, and, go ahead. In, in terms of. Uh... Nikki Haley, I think that she does have a better chance than a lot of candidates. But my question is, let's say that Trump wins in 2020. I think the Trump base of the party is still going to be in control. And I'm trying to think of who their next great exciting candidate is going to be. I've actually, I'm actually of the belief that Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, is going to be president hmm. one day. I mean, regardless of how, how the shifts go, there's going to be another Republican president. I think it's going to be him. Yeah. I don't know that I, – I mean, neither Dan Crenshaw or Nikki Haley are departures from the Trump base. You know? Well, I think and, they're a little more um, of the neoconservative lane than I would say Trump is. I, well, yeah. well, here's one. Before this – before he dropped out a couple weeks ago, I was very supportive of, of Justin Amash, who was a Republican from Michigan who defected to the Libertarian Party. Right. And – He's very much the neoconservative. Um, I, yeah, I would, I would, that's how I would describe him. Um, and he was forced out, basically, because of his comments about Trump. Yeah, right. All right. I think if you guys don't mind, I'd like to uh, shift the conversation and uh, just ask, uh, Carter, what do you think about, um, obviously, Shahid Buttar's campaign? And what do you think it'll mean for Nancy Pelosi? and for uh, the city of San Francisco? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Shahid can win because I don't think that he can. What I hope that he does is he can scare Nancy Pelosi enough to be like, oh, crap, the progressive wing of the party is at my front door and they are knocking hard on it. So that's what I probably hope from the Shahid campaign. And look, I like Shahid Butler. He's a, he's a good guy. But at the end of the day, Pelosi can pour as much money as she wants into her race. 
she captured nearly 70% of the vote in the first round of the jungle primary. And I think Shahid, if I had to guess right now, I think he'll get 20 to 30%. I just hope that he can make enough of a dent and get a, get enough of a message into Pelosi's head to make her rethink her position on more progressive policies. Okay. So can I ask a quick question? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, why the f*** is Nancy Pelosi running for office again? She's 80 years old. Does she not want to go, like, retire? It's about power. It's about power. These people spend all their time in politics. They just want to keep their minuscule, or not not minuscule, their bit of power. (laughs) It's all about them to them. They're kind of like, you know, you know, in Hamilton, building the legacy. She's trying to build her legacy. And I I, I really think that America and the Democratic Party is not going to look back positively on Nancy Pelosi. But, you know... She was the first female speaker of the house, so that's something that she'll always have in her belt, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it's important to say that there's obviously just as much of that on the other side as well. I mean, oh right, no, uh, no, Mitch it's McConnell in both parties. Seven, like Mitch McConnell is only two years younger, and he's a six-term con- or senator already. Yeah, I I'm, think, yeah. but he's I'm running for the yeah. Like, there's something inherently like that refusal to pass the torch is just—it's really. It's I'll give really it to scummy. I'll get to Democratic Party. I I think that you know the, the progressive. I think you probably both agree that the progressive wing of Democratic Party is growing much faster than the the neoconservative sure, faction yeah. of the conservative party. And I mean that's probably just because we have Trump in office, you know. But um, I wonder what that. I don't know what that means for the future. So anyway, I guess. I think it's about all the time we have. So, Carter, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. All thank you, listeners, for tuning into the America Explained podcast with Quinn and Jeffrey. I'm Quinn Reiser, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.